All right, we're about to spend the next 25 or 30 minutes in the Bible, and we do this because we, we actually believe God speaks and that he does so through this book called the Bible. We also love that God does that because it's really merciful and kind of God to do that. He didn't have to do that. He speaks, and we can know who he is. We can know his character. We can also know what he's done on our behalf, like sending his son for sinners like, like we just sang about. That's how we know those truths is from the scripture. We can know about the world around us. We can know about our hearts, about ourselves. So if you have questions about anything you're hearing or about the Christian faith in general, find me, find any one of us up front here, and we'd love to talk with you about questions that you might have. All right, let's dive in. I think some of you know that I grew up in a big family. I was eighth out of nine. And my, like, everybody's got a role in their family, right? My role was mischief maker. Uh, and, and so it was a secondary role to disciple my little brother in said mischief making. Uh, and, and so my little brother and I, oh, I, this is an important detail. Our, our two sisters above, like, above us in age are both deaf, can't, can't hear at all. Um, and, and so every Saturday, my mom would make up a chore list where, where each of us had, had three to four chores on that list. And Kenny and I loved it when one of our deaf sisters got the chore of vacuuming because we would hide around the corner and wait for them to get into that, that chore doing zone, you know, that, that vacuuming zone where you're not really paying attention, but you're still getting the job done. And then we would just reach around and pull the cord out of the outlet. While they just kept going. Oh, go ahead and judge me. But half of you in here would do the same thing. Right, Lily? Lily's going, yes, she would. And it would take a few minutes for them to realize the vacuum wasn't picking up. They'd check the bag. They'd turn the vacuum over, check to make sure the brush wasn't stuck until they finally realized it wasn't working because there was no power. They had their eyes on the machine when it should have been on the power. Silly sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, we saw Moses with his eyes on the wrong thing. God had called him to go and to lead his people out of Egypt, but Moses was full of insecurities, full of fear. His eyes were on himself and not on God, who is his one, is our one source of power. And in our text tonight, Exodus 7, God's going to show his great power to Moses, to Pharaoh, to Israel, and to the whole land of Egypt. Before we read our text, let me, let me get us caught up with a, a quick summary of where we've been. Remember, Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years, and God saw the suffering of his people and had promised deliverance, and Moses would be that promised deliverer. 
And tonight we're going to see the beginnings of that deliverance, but it didn't come easy. Pharaoh wasn't just going to let Israel go. So God confronted Pharaoh with his great power. And we're going to look at this chapter in three sections. And as we do, we'll see God's purpose, God's power, and God's judgment. God's purpose, God's power, and God's judgment. So let, let's do these one section at a time. We'll look at God's purpose first. And Owen Wilcox, you got Exodus 7, 1 through 7 ready? Yeah. Go ahead and read that. Yeah, you can, you can stand or sit. It doesn't matter. Just loud enough for everybody to hear. Thanks, Owen. So God's purpose. Look again there at verse 2. God told Moses, You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. One of the most common refrains in these early chapters of Exodus is, Let my people go. God says it over and over to Pharaoh, Let my people go. God's purpose was to deliver his people and to take them into the land that he had promised. But there's another just as important refrain that we see in Exodus and honestly in all of the scriptures, and you see it there in verse 5, kind of a purpose statement here, that they will know that I am the Lord. That phrase is used nine times here in Exodus. The prophet Ezekiel uses it 72 times. And it's used 88 times in the Old Testament alone. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So why was God delivering his people? So that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. So that the Israelites would know that he is the Lord. So that the whole world would know that he is the Lord. Y'all, God moves. God acts so that all peoples will know that he is the Lord. So as we read through Exodus, there are two big purposes. Is that, is that the right? <laughs> purpi? <laughs> what's, 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 I like purposes better. We're going to stay with it. Two big purposes. Why well, y'all got me off on plurals. Here. God was going to deliver his people first. And second, God was going to put on full display his power and glory so that all would know that he is the Lord. And why is it important that we know that? Because he is the Lord. And the sooner we come to grips with that, the better. I had a prof in seminary, which is graduate school for those that want to be pastors. And he, he liked to say, you will spend the rest of your life Learning to get these two things right. That God is God and you are not. 
that God is God and you are not. He is the Lord. And do you know what happens when we forget that? We slip into the illusion that we are. So let me ask you, what in your experience would make you think that you're good at running this world or running your own life? God gave Pharaoh chance after chance to repent, to put his trust in God, but over and over, Pharaoh refused, and his heart was hardened against God. He is the Lord. Will you let go of your short-sighted demands, your need for control, or your paralyzing fears long enough to trust that God is God? And he does a pretty good job at it, too. He delivers us that we might know that he is the Lord. God's purpose. God's power. Section number two. Ethan, you got this, right? Okay, good and loud for us. Uh, 8 through 13. Yeah, thanks. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, What Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle. Then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they and the magicians of Egypt, who did the same by our secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord said. Thanks, Ethan. God's power. Think about the, the scene that we just read about there. Two 80-year-old shepherds, Moses and his brother Aaron, come into the presence of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and demand that he let the Israelites go. The Israelites, who are the backbone of their economy and their labor force. Are you kidding me? Just because you stand in front of me, I'm going to let them go? But it's against this ridiculous and hopeless background that God will work his great power. And so as the two confronted Pharaoh, God told Aaron to throw down his staff and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh summoned his magicians and their staffs turned into serpents. So picture it, Pharaoh's guys are high-fiving and talking trash to Moses. Moses, that all you got? We, we can do that. Aaron, you can't, can't do anything more than that? Our, our staffs can turn into serpents too. But then everything changed, didn't it? Everything changed when Aaron's staff swallowed up the other staffs. In one fell swoop, God made it clear who was in charge. God made it clear who had the power. God made it clear who was ruling over these proceedings. God is God and we are not. And God is exclusive in his godness. Section 
He is God, mighty in power, and there is no other. You see, God gave Pharaoh a sign, a serpent that swallowed up all the other serpents, but Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen. He refused to see and to acknowledge God's power. In just one more chapter, these same magicians run out of their magic. And they actually say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Even they saw that. But even then, Pharaoh refused to believe and his heart was hardened yet again. So stop for just a second and let's ask this question. How many signs has God given us of his great power? Consider creation alone. Did y'all see tonight's sunset? It was glorious. The stars in the galaxies, yeah, God put those there. He hung each one in place and he calls every one of them out by name every night. What about the order of the universe? I mean, gravity alone. Like, aren't you thankful? I mean, most of the time we're thankful for that. Maybe not all that time. But have you ever seen the pictures in the space station or, or videos in the, where things are just floating? Like, that'd be a hassle, having to chase stuff down all the time. Like, this universe works because God gave it order. What about the human body? Anybody had anatomy? All the nursing people are over here. I, I took that in. It was really fascinating to take my finger and poke it on a cadaver's tendon in the forearm. Is this too much detail, Olivia? <laughs> Olivia, let's just start now. <laughs> Press that tendon and see the finger move. It's incredible. Or what about the beauty and the majesty of the Grand Canyon? Or Niagara Falls or the Rocky Mountains. And that's just here in this country. And, and y'all, that's just creation. What about what we read in the scriptures? Of God parting the Red Sea so that hundreds of thousands, we're gonna read about this in just a few weeks, Hundreds of thousands can go through on dry land while the most powerful army on the planet is chasing them and then gets swallowed up in that sea. And then once they get through in the wilderness, and oh, by the way, we got to eat and drink. God brings food down from heaven and water out of a rock. Or what about Jesus and all that he did? The healing of the deaf, the blind, and the lame, the calming the storms, the walking on water, the raising the dead, and Jesus himself conquering death and sin and shame. Let me ask you, why are we so slow to believe God's power? What more? It's really easy to look at Pharaoh and go, what a moron. How did he not see it? And I think that very question could be asked of our own hearts. In fact, 
I could make the argument, we have so much more evidence of God's power. Why do we think so little of it? And let me ask you, what, what are some ways that, that we do this? I want to hear answers. How do we neglect, ignore, or minimize the power of God? Just curious what y'all would say here. How do we think little of God's power? Just shout out. Trying to control something that's actually not in our power. How else? Pride and overcoming hardships of our own power. Uh, say the first word. Pride and overcoming hardships of our own power. Yeah. Kind of goes along with what Elise said. Yeah. Other thoughts? Taking full credit for our successes. We don't pray. And we don't pray. Yeah. Here's a few I, I put down. Thank you all for those that shared. Just my own heart, and I'm guessing some of y'all will resonate with this. I don't trust God can or will change others. So I don't pray for them or share the love of Christ with them. I don't believe God can or will change me. Instead of believing that he can deliver me from my sin, I throw my hands up and I say something like, I'll never change, I might as well sin again. And it just keeps me stuck in the cul-de-sac of my sin. Or I don't trust God can or will provide for me in the future, so I death grip the steering wheel of my life as if I can control my circumstances. Or I don't trust God can or will restore what is broken, whether it's a relationship or part of me that's broken. So I choose to stay in my self-protective shell rather than risk what it takes to grow and to heal. Pharaoh saw God's power, but his heart was hardened. You have seen God's power. Will your heart be hardened? Or will you put yourself fully and squarely in the hands of Almighty God who loves you and who works all things for your good and for His glory? He's the God who swallows up all others. He is the God of all power. Well, lastly, God's judgment and Elise, I think you've got that for me, right? 14 through 20. God's judgment. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into the serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold. 
All right, you can. Thanks, Elise. Because of Pharaoh's hardness of heart, because of Egypt's wickedness and rebellion against God, judgment was coming. We just read of the first of what's known as the 10 plagues that God sent on Egypt, the turning the Nile River into blood. And blood filled that river in every pool, every canal, every well, and every wash basin in Egypt. The effect of this plague would have been absolutely devastating. No drinking water, no water for bathing, for cleaning, for watering flocks or crops. The fish in the Nile died. It's the lifeblood of Egypt, the Nile River, and it was a filthy stench of death. I don't know about y'all, but when something goes wrong in the water system and I turn on my water and it's like a little brown, I freak out. I can't imagine this, really, how devastating this was. And do you remember just a few chapters earlier where Pharaoh tried to kill off all the Israelites? Do you remember how he tried to do it? Throw the babies into the Nile. God was saying, okay, Pharaoh, you want death in the Nile? I'll give you death. And there were nine more plagues to come. We're not going to cover them all. We'll, we'll do this one and then we'll do number 10 the next time we're together. But, but here they are. Plague of frogs, gnats, flies, death of livestock, boils on the skin, hail, locusts, three days of darkness, and the death of every firstborn in every household. And each of these plagues was an affront to the gods of Egypt. Do y'all know that? Like every one of them was God saying, you have your gods that are over these areas, but they can't be sovereign over those areas because I am. And so God with each plague confronts each one of those gods, like the god of the Nile that we see here, the crop fertility gods, and the sun god, just to name a few. God was exposing the impotence and the fraudulence of Egypt's gods, and he was executing his judgment. And what you need to hear from all this is God doesn't play nicely with our idols. That, that's anything we take and set in the position of God. Anything that we make ultimate can even be good things that we make ultimate things is an idol. God doesn't play nicely with our idols or our sin. And, and here's the sobering reality as we read this. Idolatry and sin are not just an Egyptian thing or a Pharaoh problem. They're an us thing and an us problem. Because we have our idols too, don't we? Idols of power, position, pleasure, possessions, reputation, lust, GPA, autonomy, comfort, success, and on and on we could go. One, one pastor from years past famously said that our hearts are idol-making factories. 
You know what that means? We mass produce in idolatry out of our hearts. And not only that, we're full of sin. We don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, or strength. We don't love our neighbor as we ought. Every day of our lives, we've broken God's good and gracious commands. We sin in what we think and what we say and what we do. We're just as deserving of God's judgment as the Egyptians were. And God will judge our sin. We will, each of us, stand before God and give an account. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I took a group of about 30 students on a hike up to Old Rag Mountain. Anybody done that? It's probably, yeah, easily my favorite in Virginia. Um, As we were hiking, we got really spread out on this hike um, because one, it's a long and a challenging hike, but two, we were a big group. So we had different fitness levels, different abilities. And so we just got kind of strung out um, probably 30 minutes apart, maybe 45 even from the front group to the back. And being the, the youth pastor, I wanted to make sure every problem was staying in front of me. So I'm, I'm with the group in the back. Um, we, we get up to the rock scramble part, which is like two thirds or three fourths of the way up. And you're starting to get out of the trees at this point and I could see the storm clouds coming in and they were dark dark clouds at that moment I wanted to turn around with my little band and go back but that wasn't an option because we had a good 25 still ahead they wouldn't have gotten word that we had turned like it was a mess at this point so I figured the only thing we can do is keep pushing so I pick up our pace we hurry to the top and it it took us about three hours to get there and as we arrived you know you want to get to the top of a three-hour climb and do what sit stop enjoy right well at this point this thing is right on top of us And where do you not want to be in a lightning storm? At the top of a mountain with nothing but rock underneath you. And that that has occurred to me at this point. So I let my little group enjoy the top of the mountain for about 30 seconds. (laughs) And they were so mad at me. But I said, no, we have to go down. Do you see this? And the fastest way down was this this, uh, back trail that then connects to to a fire road. So that's how we start our descent. And just as we get, I'm not kidding, it was like 20 feet from the top, the skies just open up. And I did not want to be on top of that mountain. I didn't want to be under trees. But that's exactly where we were. And I desperately wanted to find for me and for our group a boulder or a rock ledge that we could take refuge under, something, anything that could shelter us from the fury of that storm. Well, there's an old hymn that has this line, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. It's talking about Jesus, who is our rock of ages, who was broken 
for us and who hides us from the storm of God's judgment. He's the rock that we're desperately looking for. You have two options here. You can face God's judgment on your own, presenting to him your works, your merits, but the scripture is really clear on what those are. Those are but filthy rags. That's what you'll be presenting to God in that day of judgment, filthy rags, if you're trusting in yourself. But there's a better option. You can face that judgment hidden in Christ who already bore the judgment of God, who already bore your guilt on the cross. What I'm telling you is option number two, Jesus is our hope in judgment. That's why he came. That's why he gave his life on a cross to bear that on our behalf. So what will it be for you? Will you bear the weight of your sin or will you trust in the one who bore it for you? What you're hearing from me is me urging you, pleading with you, believe in Christ and you will be saved in the day of judgment because his is the power to save and he came to deliver you out of bondage of your sin so that you might know that he is the Lord. Y'all, this is good news. Believe it and tell it because our world needs to hear it. Let's pray. God, thank you for the good news that you sent your son to bear the judgment that we deserve and that he came to set us free from our sin and our shame so that we can live free and full in your presence and in this world obeying you, loving you, following you, and proclaiming you. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who do those things. Lord, thank you for your great power. I pray that more and more we would believe it. Thank you that your purpose is to deliver so that you might gather a people for yourself who declare that you are the Lord. God, do that in this room tonight. Would our hearts, would our lips, would our lives declare that you are the Lord. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.